Is the Bible racist? Yes or no? No. Is the Bible sexist? Yes or no? No. Does the Bible support the LGBTQIA plus agenda? No. Welcome to Beyond Service, where we see Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. In today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion on running the races with Dr. Heather E. Burton. Let's jump into the conversation. When I work with students that are, are writing speeches for churches or something like that, that your the Bible is your research. The Bible is your factual information. Yeah. But if you're only looking at it to support your argument, then you're missing the premise of what can be being said. Right. And so I think that's what we have to look at when we talk about and labeling, putting these labels on the word of God, where we're labeling the word of God as racist or sexist. So, so, I mean, so just as a, you know, um, not necessarily a finality, but just a, a standpoint here. Is the Bible racist? Yes or no? No. Is the Bible sexist? Yes or no? No. Does the Bible support the LGBTQIA plus agenda? No. Uh, now, that leads us to well, the next section. But here's the other thing, though, yeah. is that you have to look at what the LGBTQI, how you're defining that. Because if we're defining it from an identity perspective versus a sin perspective. Versus a what perspective? A sin. sin. Oh, sin perspective. Yes. That's what I'm saying is that with individuals within the LGBTQIA community are viewing that as an identity, as a who they are, not as a sin. As Christians, we look at it as a sin. And so if you're looking at it as a sin versus an identity, then you're going to get a different a different connotation from the word of God. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, even as an identity, though, I mean, how would the are they? What are some examples then of people reading the Bible to confirm a homosexual identity, or a transgender identity, or you know, a lesbian identity, gay identity? The list goes on. I can't give any examples of the Word of God that that yeah. gives examples of a transgender or yeah. Um, or LGBTQI right. within the Bible that gives identity that's saying that this person was this or this person was that. Yeah. Now, for the listeners who are thinking I'm just hopping all over the place here, uh, we started talking about racism and then we sort of jumped over to the, the feminism, sexism world, I guess, a little bit according to the scriptures. And now we're starting to jump into something that's a little bit more creative and evolving, which is the LGBTQIA+. And the list is continuing. Um, hopefully, I respected uh, uh, respected them uh, tremendously in my representation yeah. of them. So yeah. with that, I, process, I, yes, please continue. Yeah, now that wanna, I got that I out the way. I want, yes. And I want to say the same thing is that, you know, when we're talking about the LGBTQIA community um, and, 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 and when you're talking about what, what letters to use, it also is an identity uh, as, as gender expression or gender identity that the community establishes and the community sells. And I think that's very important is that anytime we reference the LGBTQIA community, as you said, is the respect that's given to the community for the identity and expression. But I want to go back to the race and gender um, and especially race when we're talking about the Bible is I think we also have to understand how we define race and racism. And so how we define race and racism also gives you that lens and that perspective of how you're reading the Bible and what you're seeing. Yeah. So and it's interesting, but you know what's interesting real quick, Craig, so you know yeah, what's yeah, interesting yeah. is that it's easier for people to accept the Bible as black history than to accept the Bible in support of women. All right, go ahead. Explain what you mean by that. <laughs> 
And again, it goes to, and especially when I think about the male dominated society, yeah. it goes to how we've been taught historically. Yeah. So it's easier for people, especially males, and I'm not picking on my males because I love black men, mm -hmm. but especially for black men to see the Bible from the lens of a, a black uh, a black lens versus seeing the Bible from a lens of a gender neutral lens. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's what I mean with gender, gender neutrality, just like race neutrality within the Bible. Right. And the thing is, just speaking out to the men out there as well, too, there, there's definitely accountability for men uh, sending in the Bible as well, too. I mean, there's, you know, for every one woman that did something mischievous in the Bible, there were about 10 or 20 men who who were pretty much likely um, uh, ungodly. And the thing is, even with the original sin, God did not blame Eve for the original sin. He put he that onus Adam. on Adam. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, the original sin of Adam, you know, so. But how often do you hear man yeah. blame Eve. Now, guess what? Adam tried to blame Eve now. He's like, yes. oh, look, this woman you and, gave me. You know what I mean? Yes. So, and yeah. And that's where we go with what we've been taught. And if you think about it, and this is why I would say, you know, I, I, I even say this with my student, is that reading is fundamental. And reading is important because we have access to knowledge now. So we're no longer just being taught by oral tradition. And, and I love oral tradition because when you sit down with the elders, when you sit down with the, the, the elders of the church, the wise, your family members that are elders, your ancestors, you hear oral tradition that is often missed within written tradition because you hear the emotion, you hear the convert, you know, you hear the ins and outs. But even with oral tradition, we're in a society now where we have access. Yeah. And we have access to so much information that our information also becomes uh, overwhelming as to what do I believe and what don't I believe. Yeah. Uh, and, and expect But when we think about historically and being taught, we've been taught historically through oral tradition. We've been taught through someone reading to us right. and teaching us. Now, I'll say this. Many Christians still sit in that same space. Yeah. <laughs> where they're waiting for somebody to teach them verbally and they aren't learning and reading on their own and developing their relationship with Christ. Right. Yeah, I I, t I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, there, for me, it seems like there's a sweet spot that I'm trying to attain. Um, you know, there are parts of me that want to avoid uh, lukewarmness. And this is just a side note. Um, there are times where I want to avoid lukewarmness, but then there are times where I'm really trying to study the Word of God. I'm really trying to get into it. And I'm exhausted. And I'll be the first to tell you, I read a lot, but I don't like it. <laughs> I'll tell you, I write a lot, but I don't like it. And, um, you know, I'm reminded of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'm just going to read this. I, I think I've quoted this before. Uh, it says, but my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. And the thing is, we could be as knowledgeable, perhaps even have some of the deepest, darkest understandings that God has revealed to us. But if we don't obey his commandments, then yeah, it's almost game over. Basically, it, that that's like the, the beginning of the fear of the Lord, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And the fear of the Lord is number one. Fear of the Lord is what we should have. Yeah. But then, you know, I think about when we go to Second Timothy, 
and study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman neither not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, is that if we are going to rightly divide the word of truth, it requires us to study and it requires us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so we have to, as you said, with, you know, with the passage that you read is that we have to fear the Lord and the fear of the Lord will make you get into the word where you are rightly dividing the word and you're looking at the word for truth and not looking at the word for what society says. Right. That's where I leave leave that is that that that's that worldly flesh society that has shaped us to think the, the word of God is one way or the other. So yeah, that's an interesting point you brought up and and a really good context that I uh, want to revisit. When it comes to like reading the word of the Lord and applying it to, for example, race, you can pick whichever one you want to address, but race or uh, feminism or even LGBTQIA. Uh, I'm going to say LGBT uh, just to for the rest of the conversation. Hopefully they listen to the entire podcast and whatever. So the thing is, you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. I've heard of old school versus new school of thought and so forth. Um, there are people who will criticize the Old Testament as being not nearly as relevant as, say, the New Testament. Um, so in particular, you have slavery laws and, you know, uh, indentured servanthood that was explicitly exp- um described in, uh, I think, in the book of Exodus, as well as the Mm -hmm. book of Deuteronomy. It goes into greater details. Um, And then, of course, when it comes to male treatment of females and females treatment to the man as well, too, you have sort of like the Old Testament uh, laws, and then you also have the words of Jesus Christ, and then the New Testament, where Paul goes on and on about that type of relationship. And then, of course, you have the LGBTQ. You have uh, people who will say, oh, well, you know, the stuff in uh, in Leviticus uh, chapter four, you know, uh, that that. Well, if you if you believe that, then why are you eating shellfish? You know, these are just some of the rebuttals and the comebacks and so forth. And then, of course, in the New Testament, you'll have maybe Romans one verses 26 through 28 that pretty much talks about homosexuality and effeminence as being uh, blockers to the kingdom of God. So this long question that I'm sharing, asking you is, how do you defend the total Bible, the total scripture, Old and New Testament, when addressing the issues of race, sexism, feminism, or gender identity? I think that's the that's the argument right there is the totality of the Bible. Yeah. And using the totality of the Bible as a defense mechanism. Yeah. What I say, too, is that why do we use the totality of the Bible to defend personal convictions or personal desires, requests, whatever? I even look at uh, we, we talked about, you know, looking at things from a different lens and learning things from a different lens and a perspective of black lens, gender lens, that sort of thing. But yeah. when we're reading the Bible, we shouldn't be reading the Bible for the gender, the race, the sexual orientation. Okay. We should be reading the Bible for the word of God. And when we read the Bible, we should read the Bible from a neutrality lens mm-hmm. in terms of reading. There's one thing to look at it. And, and I hope I'm making sense to look at it from the perspective of, let me think about the geographical location. 
and the geographical location represents this. Or let me think about what was happening in the Old Testament and why the Ten Commandments were given or why these laws were written. What was happening during that period with the children of Israel that these laws had to be written? When we think about the laws of, as you mentioned, you know, not eating shellfish, you know, not eating pork in this um, aspect of what we shouldn't do under Old Testament laws. And then the debate of the New Testament as the New Testament wipes out the Old Testament. Well, Christ didn't come to wipe out the Old Testament. Christ Christ came to fulfill the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so in that fulfillment, there are still things that are apart. Uh, I was in a conversation with talking about sacrifices. And when we talk about, you know, the sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament that are no longer sacrifices that need to be done in the New Testament. But that doesn't mean everything. That meant sacrifices that dealt with the killing of animals in blood based on Christ. And so I think we, we, we approach the Bible. We have a tendency to approach the Bible and we want to approach the Bible. And I go back to my same point of justification. We want to approach the Bible to justify a yay or a nay and study reading the Bible of uh, when we talk, when you mentioned totality and trying to use totality of the Bible for justification, the totality of the Bible is about salvation. Right. And as you mentioned, the fear of the Lord, that's the totality of the Bible. Right. And the message, it's aspects of the Bible that gives us prescriptives and prescriptions. And so when you get into whether it should be racism, whether it should be gender, whether it supports homosexuality, whether it doesn't support homosexuality, whether it supports lesbianism or not, then we're missing God's purpose also in the Bible of our own personal relationship. And what I always say is that our decisions and how we live life should be based on our relationship with Christ. Okay. And what does Christ predicate and say? Just like I look at God, we assign a gender to God. Yeah. And gender is a concept that has been taken from this this concept that we have taken from society to create and put I and let me say and put characteristics on that gender. Okay. Of yeah. what the gender should be. Okay. Cool. Here's what well, we do. say: girls should have pink and boys should have blue. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, so that's, that's society. The Bible don't say girls should be wearing pink and boys should be wearing blue. Mm -hmm. But right. we we make that. I mean, that is a that is like what do you call it? That's like a a push in people's daily lives of these I, these methods of identification on who we are based on worldly society standards. Right, right. Now, the thing is, when you talk about worldly um, society standards, I mean, I'm assuming there's also a breakdown based upon uh, countries, perhaps even cultures and, mm -hmm. you know, as well, too. So, you know, pink and blue. All right. Maybe the United States, not so much, perhaps, say, in, I don't know, Nicaragua or yeah, or China or something like that. And so, even the method of relationships when you're yeah. talking about relationships, because America has modernized love. Is that when we talk about marriage, we're talking about feelings and connections and but there are still cultures that do arrange marriages. Yeah. Yep. So, India. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so when you, and I remember I had a student in class that uh, she came back and she said, Dr. Burton, I'm sorry for sleeping in class, but I got married this weekend. And I was like, <laughs> oh. And so she explained to me that it was an arranged marriage. Yeah. And, and you know, we had a whole lesson and she helped me to understand and everything. Mm hmm. And the view of that is that 
the, her view, as she explained it to me, and I want to listen to you know, this is as the student explained it to me, is that it was about procreation and yeah. the well-being of the children. It wasn't about the relationship between the two people, right. but it was about God's command to procreate. Right. And was she a Christian? Um, you know, that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know what religion. Actually, yeah. I don't know religion because yeah. I just got to be talking about how we in American society have defined this aspect of love mm-hmm. based on this feeling. So let me ask you this. What is your definition of love? I don't know. All right. <laughs> I'll share. I'll share. I'll share what the Bible says. God you know. is love. Yes, God and is love. And yeah. So if you're uh, talking about me personally, yeah. Um, I can't give you a definition. I have to operate in love in a space of God being love and what life should be like if I'm loving and uh to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And the thing is, love takes on a number of different forms. Even in I think in um chapter first Corinthians chapter thirteen, I think that's the love chapter. And you know, love is also described as charity uh in that chapter as well, too. Um so when I hear people talk about or when I have the discussion about love and we're trying to sort of come to some sort of a meeting space about love, I try to use God as the anchor for the definition of love. And then from there sprouts a number of different actions that are motivated by love a lot of speech or you know uh how not to be mentally abusive all right that's god's love how not to be physically abusive yeah. that's god's love you know how not to be spiritually abusive that's god's love how to exercise the fruit of the spirit boom god's love god's love god's love jesus christ died on the cross because god so loved the world you know what i mean so and i think it's important yeah. to understand too with love is that love is not conditional and yeah. and we operate, we use love as a conditional premise. Yeah. I love because. Right. Instead of God doesn't love us because. Right. Because we did this or we did that. Right. God loves us because God is love and God created us for love. Yeah. So I think I think it's very that the other thing, like when you're saying what we should, what love represents of what we should and should not do is that. We have to be realistic as to how we do love. This concludes another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we see Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. If you were blessed by this episode, consider going to beyondsermons.com, where you can subscribe on the platform of your choice. Take care and be blessed to be a blessing.